looking at in chapter 10 is limits of Christian freedom, and it's a warning. We've looked at the priorities of Christian freedom. We've looked at illustrations of Christian freedom. And we're starting on something that actually began in chapter 8, verse 1, is when Paul literally starts dealing with the problem that was in the Corinthian church and which they asked him about. And that was meat offered to idols. And he uses himself as an illustration. He uses the fact that he, as a preacher of the gospel, had the right to gain money financial sustenance from preaching of the gospel, but because he understood his freedom, he says, I refuse to accept that, and I will do it for free, and the Lord will take care of my needs. All right, we've looked at all of this. But what happens to us is we get to the point that our freedom masters us. We are free in Christ. We've looked at it, verses 1 through 4. We have been freed from a position we had absolutely no ability. Just as Israel was taken out of Egypt, you were literally freed from a life that you had no ability to overcome yourself. But not only that, as as Israel was released from Egypt, they were guided. And God will free you, but he will guide you. But also as he did that, we understand that he sustained them. He took care of them in the wilderness. All right, now I want to understand, and I want to emphasize this. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about usefulness to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Right, that is not the issue of salvation is not what Paul is dealing with. He's talking about not being disqualified. He comes out of chapter 9, verse 27. He says, and I buffet my body, I bruise it, I beat it up to make it my slave. You've heard, uh, David, those of you who were here in the Sunday school hour, and he had explained what was happening in Russia, and this, this is what comes to my mind. These people understand the purpose is now the purpose is christ and the time is very short i read a book on our, uh, a biography of my one of my mentors stephen olford it was called only one life and stephen olford had been in a motorcycle accident and was dying of pneumonia literally had pneumonia this was before world war ii so you didn't have penicillin and all the rest of it you just you either made it or you didn't he was a young man and god had his hand on dr olford But his father was still a missionary in Africa. And he sent him a letter. And his father didn't know what had happened to Stephen Olford. And in the letter, he concluded, he says, Stephen, you have but only one life. And that that is done for Jesus Christ is all that matters. Okay? Now, he was an engineer at that time in in England. And literally had come up with an invention that you and I know of. And he put it on a motorcycle and was making a lot of money racing motorcycles. It's called fuel injection. And he laughs. He says, if I had only patented it. (laughs) And I was like, well, that's the way it goes. All right. But do you really understand that? I think about the age here. Okay. I I look at Adam and then the older people. I won't point you out. Um, See how gracious I am. Uh, Do you understand that only that that is done for Christ matters? So on a Christian's mindset, my usefulness for God is primary. How can I be used? And that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I don't want to be disqualified. Why? Because he's already given, given me these assets. But he says, you know what? We need to be real careful with this because in verses 5 through 10, he says, we have been given an illustration. The word tope 
in the Greek, and it literally means an example, a pattern. Israel, what happened to Israel in the wilderness is a pattern to us, verse 11 says, upon whom the end of the ages have come. What you look at the Old Testament, you know, people say, Terry, why don't you teach the Old Testament? And I say, because I can't pronounce their names. All right. But I look at the Old Testament and I see that as pictures of the do's and the don'ts. Be warned. This can happen. I think about Israel in the wilderness, and, 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 and David made the comment during the Sunday school hour how the brothers in Russia pray for us because they believe for us here it's harder to walk for, in Christ than it is in Russia. They believe that we have a greater spiritual battle here than they do because we have the distractions. Okay? All right? Israel didn't have any distractions in the desert. Okay, I have seen some of that territory. There's nothing there to distract you. And yet, what happened to them? Part of it is, and we look at this, is they craved the past. I like the garlic. I like the leeks. I don't even know what a leek is. I like that stuff, the onions. We had food. We had shelter. Yeah, we were slaves. We were tools to the Egyptians, but we had this stuff. Here we're out wandering around in nothing. So they wanted to go back. How many of us fall into that? How many of us fall into idolatry? They fell into idolatry, a screaming text that just over blew me away. Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And the congregation gathered to Aaron and said, make us a calf. And in your Bible, it'll say unto God. And it'll have a little G there. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim. Let us worship God as we want. Let us worship in our manner, in our fashion. And he says they fell into idolatry and God struck them dead. How many of us do that? How many of us want to worship when it's convenient, when it's warm, when it's cool, when it rains in a Super Bowl? Why do we do that? We have the distractions. Similar to what was happening to the church in Corinth. But he said you also have to be careful of immorality. And if you look at numbers, you can see that idolatry is very closely linked to immorality. Immorality. Why? Idolatry serves self. All right? And if I'm serving self, then guess what else is going to rise up? Immorality. Immorality. It says, do not try God. Do not test God. Do not put him to the test. How many of us do that? I'm going to buy this car if God would give me the loan. Okay? Let me tell you something. God doesn't borrow money. All right? The reason you get the loan, you got good credit. Or you got a good job. Or they're trying to sell cars. We, see, we do it with houses. We do it with everything. We do what? We test the Lord. We test the Lord. And yet he even made the comment of grumbling. Grumbling is the one that will strike you because it is a heart of ingratitude that causes me to grumble against God. Where you have me, Lord, what you have me doing, I'm not satisfied with it. Therefore, give me something else to do. That's ingratitude. That's ingratitude. Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, ingratitude is the heart of an unbelieving person. 
Why would a child of God want to look like that? And yet, how many of us in this day and age, you know, and I thought about that, the lands of Russia, the pastor, he talked about it during the Sunday school hour, who was living in a potato cellar. That's where he had his family at. All right. And how many of us complain? You know that there's a phenomenon that happens in Colorado that we train up pastors in Colorado, but Texas pays more and they all take off for Texas. Okay, that's insane. But I have to meet the needs of my family. I have to do this. Um, me and my wife have talked about it before, and I'm sure some of you who have teenagers. Well, if what I had a bigger youth group for my kids, we could have done what? If we'd had more action with this person, we could have done what? You know what you're saying? Where God has put you isn't sufficient for you. Isn't sufficient for you. It isn't working the way I want it, God. And he says, be warned of these. These will literally lead you to uselessness for the King of kings and Lord of lords. To the point that Paul uses a very strong term and he says, you know what? You can be disqualified. You can be disqualified. Listen, again, the issue here is not salvation. The issue here is service. All right? Verse 11. Now, these things happen to them as an example. There's that word again that you've seen in verse 6. Examples. These are patterns of things that have happened. All right, and they were written for our instruction. Our instruction. It's almost like an ammunition. He's, he's saying, we are the last dispensation. You know what? I, I look at that. That's, that. that's what them theologians use in great big words. I read that and wrote it down because you guys thought I'd be smart. I don't have a clue what that means. But what it is is that if you look at it, you know what the first book, of the, the oldest book in the Bible is? Anybody know? Job. And if you watch the book of Job, what is God doing? He's revealing himself. He says, here's how I get this thing done. All right? And there's things that go on that you and I don't see. You know what? And God doesn't seek your counsel. He doesn't ask your permission. He's just doing what he does best, and that's only perfection. All right? So if you look at the Bible, the Old Testament, you literally see step by step God revealing himself until you have boom. The incarnation. I mean, my wife, for yesterday morning, I was listening to uh, Jubilant Sykes sing, uh, Mary, Did You Know? Okay, and there's a phrase in there that when you kiss that little baby, you kiss the face of God. And that just made me start crying. All right, when you hold that little baby, you're holding the great I am. Okay, why? Because he's saying, do you understand who I am? And he says, because you know what? You're in the last time. You're in the last dispensation. You're in the last part of my great history revealing because the next time I come, all will know who I am. I will not be cloaked in the veil of humanity. I will be exposed in the glory. Right after that, I had some things that I had to do down in Monument yesterday, and I heard that song. Um, Oh, help me, honey. Which one was it? When I get to heaven, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, you know, when I see your face, am I going to jump for joy? Am I going to sing hallelujah? Am I going to fall down? And I, I, I just, it freaked me out. That's a good biblical term, isn't it? He's freaked out. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I think about Mary kissing that little baby's face. And then I think about standing in glory with him. 
All right, so my life just went from here's this point, here's this point, and Lord, am I useful? You know what's amazing about that? There's not a person in this room right now who cannot be staggeringly useful on the eternal picture. And he says, you have examples that you need to pay attention to. Beware, be warned. You are free. You have a freedom that is non-existence in the definition of humanity. And you have it. And I am sustaining you. And I am guiding you. Be warned. Be warned. Heed your examples. Which takes me to Second Thess- or First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me show you some examples. Okay? Uh, and I'm going to call this, because it's chronological, and I'm going to call this a steps that will happen to us. We'll move to disqualification. Why? We have this example here. And I'm going to start chapter 5. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Okay, I'm not going to get into all of the going on, but I, I need you to understand the first two oldest books of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Okay, there's a debate on which is first, but hey, I'm going to take it the way it is. But they're the oldest. Okay, here's what he says. We request of you, brethren. Who would that be? The church. That you what? Appreciate. And it literally means to know. Okay, it's an intimate involvement. It says, we want you to appreciate. I want you to get involved. I want you to come to oneness with this. Who? Those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Got that? You know what it says? You know how people get ticked off at the pastor because he didn't come and visit? Have you ever heard that? Okay. What does that text say? The pastor should get ticked off if you don't come and visit him. That's what it says. It is your responsibility to get to know those who have charge over you in the Lord. Whose responsibility? The brethren. All right. Why? Those who diligently labor. And the word there is a veterinary term. It literally means to tear a horse's muscle. Okay. Those who will labor to the point of physical fatigue in the word. You should appreciate them. It's the New American Standard, but it literally means to know them, to know them. So if you're in a church today, you need to appreciate those. You esteem them highly. In what? Agapon. You know what that is? It's a verb of agape. It literally means I am going to love that person. I'm going to love that teacher in such a way I really don't care what their response is. It's a non, it's a sacrificial love. That's, it's like the, between a mother and a child. That's what he's saying. Love them. Why? Because of their work. You know what I like about that? That's one of my favorite texts in all of, all of Scripture. It means that my bubbling, effervescent personality has no point in it. Some people say, well, you've seen crass. You've seen this. You've seen that. Love me for my work. I like that verse. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, what is he about? He is about the word. He's about the things of Christ. All right. But I want to go through this because he says, we urge you, brethren. Look what it says. Do you know what I like about this text? 
It doesn't say pastor. It doesn't say elder, presbyteros. It doesn't say the deacon. It says who? The brethren, the body of Christ. We want you to admonish the unruly. We want you to encourage the faint-hearted. We want you to help the weak. We want you to be patient with who? With all. Then see that no one repays evil for an evil, but always seek that which is good for one another. And for who? For all people. Then he says this, rejoice always. You know how that literally translates in the Greek? Rejoice always. Never stop. Why? Because of verse 17. Praying without ceasing. The best illustration of praying without ceasing is what I heard Dr. MacArthur share with me one time. Prayer for a Christian should be like breathing. You're always doing it. There's times I'm conscious that I'm praying, and there's sometimes that I'm just praying and I'm not even conscious of it. It should be without ceasing. Why? Because in everything, verse 18 says, give thanks for, the, for this is the will, this is God's will for you. Has anybody ever asked what is God's will? Okay. Anybody? Oh, what's God's will? Appreciate those who are diligently over you in the Lord. Diligently laboring over you in the Lord. Admonish the unruly. Okay. The faint-hearted, the weak. Be patient with everyone, right? Rejoicing when? Always? Praying always? Why? This is God's will. Why? I don't want to be disqualified. I want to be useful. Okay, look what else he says. All right? Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Amen. All right? Amen. I like that. My gift tends to be hardcore, hardline, prophetic, and I don't want you to despise my utterance. Well, that's what it says. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. But he says this. <clears throat> but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain for every form of evil. All right? Do you know what that he just described to you? That's the church. That's what the church does. You know what I like about it? We're special music. It's not in there. Where's the singles ministry? Where there's divorce recovery workshops. How about alcoholism? That's what it's about right there. When he was sharing this morning that, you know, they got up and from 9 to 10 they read scripture. Why? They're not despising what? Prophetic utterance. I'm publicly proclaiming the word of the Lord. That's reading of scripture. They're rejoicing. They're praying. See how complicated we've gotten it? You know, I, I like that term. He says, well, you would break up the flow of the worship service. You know what? I think a lot of them need to be broke up. All right? But I want you guys to grab a hold of that because he's saying, I want you to be useful because I want to take you to another text. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to expound this. I'm just going to read it through so you know what's being said. Why? If you will do what is, he showed to the church in Thessalonica, you don't have to worry about 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Please note, what he's getting ready to share is what some churches 
will respond to and will act like. Okay? Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Then he brings out that horrifying statement. For among them, <clears throat> from, from, for among them are those who will enter the households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses. Always, what does it say? Learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. <coughs> Christians. Christians. That's what it is. That's what he's describing there. He says, you understand that now in a large house, this is at chapter 2, verse 20, in a large house there's, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also vessels of wood and earthenware and some of honor and some of dishonor. And he says, cleanse yourself. Pay attention to what it is you're doing. You know, I shared with you uh, a long time ago that the reason that I wanted to do 1 Corinthians is because it deals with your personal holiness. Why? Because 2 Corinthians is ministry. And every single one of you in this room is a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you right now are useless. And that's what Paul is dealing with. Now, if we go back to our text in Corinthians 10, so I, I, you kind of see what I'm dealing with, right? There's a danger that is there. Know this in difficult time, men will be lovers of themselves. Let me ask you something. Do you believe... That we're closer to the end than 2 Timothy? Absolutely. You're talking 67 AD, 2 Timothy. He says in the end it's going to get really nasty. Guess what? Look around. It's really nasty. And I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about the church. All right? Because he says this in verse 12. Therefore, summary statement, what's he saying? I want you to hear what I'm saying, Paul is telling you and I. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. When you think you got it figured out, you're sitting duck. You're sitting duck. Okay, be real carefully saying. There is a lot here. He's saying, pay attention. Why? There is a trap that was there that Israel fell into. There's a trap. Corinthians, that some of you have even now fallen into. And he's telling you and I this day, be very careful. Very careful. Right? Take heed, he says. I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to be disqualified. I don't want you to be useless to God. Okay, then he starts with this, verse 13. No temptation. Stop right there. This is where I'm parking. Let me ask you a question right now. If somebody brings up the word temptation to you, either you are tempting them or you have fallen into temptation, what do you think? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Temptation. I have been tempted. I have what? It's a bad thing. Something bad has happened. And when one mentions that word, it doesn't leave a whole lot of mystery 
on what is being said, right? Okay. I believe that this text, verse 12, or verse 13, I'm sorry, no temptation, and let's use the rest, that has overtaken you. I like the, in the New American Standard translation of that. Has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And I want to kind of park here for a minute because I believe that the term temptation is very familiar to Christians this day. Okay? I mean, we, you got to watch what videos we want to watch or what video games we got to watch. You've you got to watch what magazines you look at in the checkout line when you go out uh, uh, through the grocery store. Everything around you seems to be a temptation, right? Um, I, I believe that anybody in here not experienced temptation? Not experienced temptation. That's good. If you raise your hand, I'll, I need to talk to you, okay, because I don't think you're alive. <laughs> okay. We have all experienced temptation, okay, but do we really understand that term, okay? Uh, it's perasmas in the Greek, perasmas, okay? And what is amazing about the word in the Greek is it has absolutely no Moral connection whatsoever. None. Zilch. Okay? Um, it isn't good. It isn't bad. It, it's like the word epithumia. We translate it lust. Okay? Epithumia in and of itself is moral neutral. It has nothing to do with it. Now, whatever I do with my lust, now I'm in trouble. Okay? Especially if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. All right? So it's a new, neutral word. So let me give you the Greek definition. It means to test something, to try it, okay, to prove it. It was used in secular Greek to uh, the assessing of metal. The assessing of metal to see how pure it was. All right? But in modern ears, when you hear the word temptation, right? It means to seduce to evil. It is trying to bait somebody into something bad, to cause someone to sin. In the Greek, there is no moral connection. All right? What's the three big keys to translating scripture? Context. Context and context, right? All right. So when I see the word temptation in Scripture, what is its context? All right. So I want to show you how that works. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay. Do you know who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit, that's what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after he had fasted for 40 days. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to a place to seduce him to evil? So what is the moral connection for temptation in the text? There is none. Okay, but the Holy Spirit was going to take Jesus and allow Satan to test him, to try him, 
to prove him. And the Holy Spirit says this is going to be good because when he gets done, all he's going to do is manifest his righteousness. He's going to manifest the fact that he cannot fall. He's going to manifest the fact that he cannot sin. I like that. Okay? I do. You know why I like that? How many disciples does he have with him? None. So you know why you have that down? For you and me. Why? The Lord was tested. His metal was proven. And you know what happened right after that? He began his Galilean ministry. What's your ministry in the body of Christ? You have ministry. You cannot be in the body of Christ and not have ministry. It's impossible. But the question is, have you been tested? Has your metal been proven? And if you did have a test, what happened? Perhaps you became useless? Perhaps you thought you could stand and you fell? He proved that Jesus would not sin. He began his ministry first and foremost by proving who he was. Listen, I got news for you. Jesus did not need confidence. Okay? Jesus didn't need to get tested to see, you think you can get her done, boy? I mean, he knew what was going on. Remember, before existence was spoken, they had a plan. He knew the plan. For you and I, it says that Jesus Christ cannot sin. Okay? Here's something else I want you to think about. This is a test. The Holy Spirit... Now grab this. Third person, triune Godhead. The third person used Lucifer to test the second person. All right? Let me tell you something. Holy Spirit is not seducing to evil. Okay? He proved this is His Son. The Holy Spirit will bring what into your life? Test. Let me tell you something. If you are truly saved this day, all right, you are in a test. You know, I've heard people try to say, well, but you know what? You're either going into a test or you're coming out of a test. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm in a test. I don't Maybe, Maybe I just don't study as hard as you guys. He is always testing me. It is non-relenting. Why? I don't even have to worry about Satan. Okay? You know what? And I'm pretty convinced that Satan really ain't worried about me. All right? Every day... Remember what Paul said in 927? I buffet my what? Body. Why? Because my body is always testing the new spirit that lives within me. Always. He is unrelenting. The only time that my body quits is when I'm dead. I've heard people talk about dreaming. You ever heard, you know, I have dreams, I dream this, I dream that. I don't dream. You know, and everybody says, well, that's impossible. Well, you may say it's impossible, but I don't dream. 
I don't have dreams. Okay, well, you all have dreams. Well, I don't remember them, so as far as I am conclude, I don't have any. All right? And people say, well, you know, in your dreams, God and God blesses me with no dreams. To be honest with you. Why? I have enough to deal with when my waking hours. And I'm not talking about dealing with other people. I'm talking about hanging out with me. That he says, you don't need to be dreaming. (laughs) All right? Get a hold of this. Why? Because you are a child of God. You have been called to be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. You have called to be holy. Why? Because you are a holy, royal priesthood. And each one of you is a block in an amazing thing that God is building. A temple of glory of God. All right? If you're saved, it must happen. Okay? And I would even argue that until there are certain tests done, you're not effective in ministry. Okay? And based on Jesus Christ. Why? His ministry started after he was proven. Evil will want to turn, now grab this, evil will want to turn this test, Dr. Zodiazis calls it a seducing to evil, a solicitation to evil. If you read Job, ask yourself a question. Satan had been down on the planet, walking around, and he comes into the presence and he asks Satan where he'd been. He told him. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? Okay. And the scripture calls him the most righteous man in the East. I really pray that the Lord never says that about me. I don't want him to. Now listen, ask yourself a question. Was God trying to tempt Job to sin? No. He was going to prove Job's righteousness to who? Satan and you and me. All right, so let me tell you something. Sometimes this temptation, this temptation that has overtaken you, literally will involve demonic powers. Did you know that? Did you really know that God sometimes will use demons to prove the saints' righteousness? Remember, you think about Peter. Remember, he's going to talk to Jesus, and Jesus sits there and looks at him and says, you know what? Satan has asked to sift you. Okay, and that's an, you know, I'm Peter, here's what I'm saying. And you told him no, right? (laughs) You know what Jesus' response was? I prayed for you. Wait a minute, you're God. (laughs) You don't need to pray for me. Just tell him no. I've read Job. And he says, but after you come through the sifting and it literally means they used to take baskets and they'd put the 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 harvest in it and they'd shake it up in the air and the the wind would blow the chaff away and the seed would land back the grain would land back in the basket that's the term jesus says satan wants to do to you peter 
He wants to toss you up in the air, but God's going to blow away the worthless stuff and you'll land back. And he says, and when you get through it, guess what? You'll be able to strengthen the brethren. All right? I don't want that. I don't want that. Tell Satan, no. Let me give you another text. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We studied this many years ago. Chapter 11, verse 17, makes this. By faith, Abraham... Here's what the New American Standard translates it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested... You know what the word is there? Tempted. Same word. Same word that you see in Corinthians 13. 10, 13. Same word. And in King James translated, God tempted Abraham... All right, what was the temptation? Here's what it was. Here's what was the test. He offered up Isaac. He offered up Isaac. Listen, here's something that we always think about Abraham. We think about him, the father of faith and all the rest of it. Listen, he wasn't. Please understand that. All right, if you read Abraham, instead of reading it as a story, watch God test him to strengthen his faith. He was asked to leave Ur. And we think, gosh, how massive is that? That wasn't massive. He didn't have no heir, so he took Lot. How much did that get him? All right? And he took all of his livestock, all of his belongings, and all of this other stuff. He, he was a very wealthy man in Ur. So when you say, well, he just left everything. No, he didn't. He took it all with him. Okay, but he wasn't at a position at that time where he had been given a child. Would he have been able to offer that child? No. But you watch God's faithfulness continually over and over and over and over to Abraham. And at the time he has his first real child, God says, offer him to me. What was Abraham's response? Okay. And you see the growing of faith. How? Through being tested, being tested. Okay? So when you have things in your life, hold it loosely. Perhaps the Lord will test you with that. Hold it loosely. And if he says, I want that, if you're holding it loosely, you can say, here, my father. Okay? Now then, go one more book over to the book of James. Book of James, chapter 1, verse 13. Remember, I'm dealing with a term that the context delineates whether it's good or bad. Okay, this testing, this tempting. Here's what it says. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. Okay, there the connotation for the word is bad. If something bad is happening, a seduction, a solicitation to evil... Don't say, God did it. Why? God cannot, what? Be tempted by evil. Now, I need you guys to hang on to this, that verse right there, that portion of Scripture. Okay, because we're going to come back to that in the weeks to come. All right, what does it say? God cannot be tempted. Okay, what was going on in the wilderness then? 
We'll pick it up next week. Do you see the delineation? The context is saying, is this evil or is this is good? All right? So when you are tempted, all right, when you are solicited by evil, know that it ain't God. It ain't God. Okay? Because read on. And he himself does not what? Tempt anyone. All right? Does God test us? But he will not test you to evil. Will he? I mean, I watch people say, you know, uh, God, you know, <clears throat> I've heard this before and I'm not going to mention any names, but a young couple, they weren't married. And, and, they, and they said that, you know, that they want to get married. They, they love each other and they believe God is bringing them together. And one night, they fell into sin. They had sex together. And they said, well, you know, God had tested us. And uh-uh, God never tested you. God never solicits to evil. Hear me well. God never draws to evil. Why? It says he can't. Okay? That would be like one of those, it's an impossibility. He can't. So if you stumble into, if you premeditate into evil, please understand who's responsible. Okay? Ain't God. Why? Look at verse 14 of that text. Each one is what? Tempted. When he is carried away and enticed by what? Right? I want you to think about this. Right? I asked you a question. God can't tempt, nor can God be tempted. Right? Jesus was led off into the wilderness. Okay, he had fasted for 40 days, and he was led by the wilderness by who? Spirit of the living God. To be what? Tested. Tempted. All right? Here's something you've got to really think about. God can't be tempted. Okay, do you know what the three temptations were? Okay, I'll let you go read them. Chapter 4 of Matthew. Three temptations. Do you know that all three dealt with the humanness of Christ? Why? Satan's not stupid. God can't be tempted. Here in James 14 it says, You are what? Carried away by your lust. Okay, now read this really quick because I want to I wrap up on this because you've got to hear this. All right, each one is tempted. Okay, now we're still looking at tempted as evil, a solicitation to sin. Okay, it's tempted when he's carried away by, and enticed by his own what? Lust. Where are lusts? Where do lusts start? Where? In your brain. Look what he says in 15. When that lust is what? Okay. Do you know what the word conceived means? (laughs) Okay. We all got that one figured out. How did it get there? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Where does it go? The trials of your life. Hear me well. Okay. In 13 he says, are common to who? Man. No temptation has overtaken you except what? 
common to man. Do you understand what that verse means? That statement means? It's external. They're all external. Please hear me on this. There's not a person in this room who's not going to be in a trial, a testing. But when I take the the external and I look at it, I just leave it there. Because if I don't, what do I do? I'll internalize it. And it will conceive what? Lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to, read your text, sin. Where did it start? An external test that God meant to strengthen you, you took that test, you internalized that test, and it became a lust, and that lust gave birth to sin. No temptation has overtaken you except that that is common to man. They are not supernatural. Not only that, they are common. And they are always, 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 always external. Jesus' temptations, three of them, what were they? Internal and external. You hungry? Bread. Where's that? External. Right? On the pillar, cast yourselves out. Right? Here's all the kingdoms of the world. Right? Where were they? External. What did Jesus do? Boom! Thus saith the Lord. Now do you understand why Paul in Colossians says, take every thought captive? Why? You will be tested. You have to be. Why? You've been called to grow in one thing in your life. Did you know that? Jesus Christ has called you to grow in one thing. Your faith. Go quickly. James chapter 1. Verse 2. Consider it what? Happy, happy, joy, joy. Right? It's not happiness. It is joy. It is that ability to hear that song. Um, I can only imagine the tears coming out of my eyes. I was driving down over the hill coming out of Elbert County, and I looked at the mountains and all the snow on the mountains and the big blue sky, and I'm thinking about kissing the face of Jesus and crying in joy, saying, can I go home now? <laughs> I know that's kind of selfish, but that's what I was thinking. All right. He says, count it all joy, brother, when you encounter what? You know what that means? Guaranteed. It literally means diverse temptations. You count it as joy. Why? Knowing that the testing of your what? Faith will do what? Endurance, patience. All right? Because there's a plan that God has. What is it? Verse 4, grab this, brothers and sisters, because you are a saint today. You are going to be tested. And he says, and let the endurance have its what? Perfect results so that you will be perfect and complete. And what would you be lacking? Nothing. The word perfect there is tetelion in the Greek. And it means everything is there. It is absolutely, absolutely, positively lacking nothing. It's a whole entity. So you will be tested. And know this, it is always, always, always external. Don't internalize it and give room for lust. Put up 
the word of God, take every thought captive. Why? That I may prove. That I may prove what the Lord is doing. Why? Because he's only looking for my perfection. Why? God wants you to walk on the planet earth in such a useful way that you can walk in a life that lacks nothing. That's what he wants for you and I. And understand, no test has overtaken you that is not common to man. Whether it's craving the evil things, whether it is idolatry, whether it is immorality, whether it is grumbling, whether it is testing the Lord. Nothing has overtaken you. Now one last verse I want to give you in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 15. Right, no, 13. 2 Corinthians 13. Okay? I showed you something powerful here. You better hang on to this because you can't hear this and not walk out into that world and not be tested. Okay? You throw up the Word of God. You throw up the nature of God. You throw up His attributes, His character, and all that you can tell yourself that you know about it. And then you're going to ask yourself this question. You believe? You believe? Okay, here's how I look at it. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? Here's what it says. Verse 5. Test yourself. You know what that means? Prove it. Test it. Is the metal true? Is the metal true, Paul says. Now, this is a book that deals with ministry. Okay, and there's a whole lot that goes before this. I'm not going to get into that. We don't have time right now. It says, test yourself. For what, Paul? If you are in the faith. Okay, you know what he says next? Test yourself again. Listen, if the Apostle Paul uses the same word, the same question two times, you know what he's saying? There are some people who have not tested themselves and are playing a game. Five parenthetical warnings in the book of Hebrews that says, make sure what you have is real. Okay? It says, test yourself. See if you're the faith. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? What does he say then? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. Listen, prove yourself to be a Christian. Why? Do you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Okay, now grab this for a second. We can intellectually, we read this, we say, amen, brother, I agree with that, absolutely. What happens when the test shows up? Is Jesus Christ in me? And he says, you know what? I'm only going to grow your faith so you'll lack nothing. Well, is Jesus Christ in me? Absolutely, he is in you. Absolutely, he is in you. And let me ask you a question. What sin did Jesus Christ succumb to? What power do you have available to you? Twenty oh, low into the end of the age. 
What power do you have to overcome sin? Jesus Christ in me. Jesus Christ in me. The problem is, is what you've seen in James. If I take this external test, listen, this could be anything. This could be, uh, I've got too much month and not enough money. Okay, it can be the, the response of your kids or the lack of. It can be your job. It can be your spouse. It can be the fact you don't have a job or a spouse. All right, and you have all of this, and these are tests that God's saying, Am I sufficient? Am I sufficient? And understand it's an external test that I don't need to internalize because it will bring forth lust. And lust will bring sin. And I just look at it and say, you know what? I'm of the faith. Why? Jesus is in me. And understand the tests will come. They have to. Why? He wants to make you perfect. He wants to make you perfect. Why? Take it back to the context of 1 Corinthians 10. I want you to be useful in the preaching of the gospel. This reaching lost people and strengthening saints. And I have to test you. So that you'll be useful to the Most High God. Where are you at? Have you tested yourself to see if you're of the faith? Are you useful? Are you being used by the Most High God? That's what the Apostle Paul's yelling at us today from Holy Writ. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word, I praise you for my Savior. And what you did through him. Father, I pray that as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, Lord, we would bow before you now and understand that you will do abundantly, exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Father, what is happening in the lands of Russia is proof to us this day. And Father, search my heart. Father, I don't want to be disqualified. Lord, my Savior, test me. Father, I pray that these people will move from their comfort. Father, will be willing to stand and say, Lord, stretch our faith. Father, give us the peace that surpasses all understanding that we would lean full weight upon you. Father, your glory would be magnified individually and collectively as you do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. To you, my Father, Savior, in Christ's name.